The deck is quiet. You dream by my side, and we are far from shore. Far from the tide that in a former life we had to follow so anxiously with eyes fixed on tomorrow. Not that we're free from worry on the water. It's true I nearly died the day before, and as for next week, well, it isn't now, which is the most that piracy allows. I won't say, love, I never will prefer the managed risks of land to those on offer here, but I can state without restraint your cheek upon my arm resembles fate. Dear man, Surprising as a siren's comb dropped in my hand. Surprising as the lone goal which follows our ship in all weathers and stands on Button's head to preen its feathers. What did I have to do with love before? All my loves, which counted number more than there swim silvery minnows in the sea, each of them, Pete, rests tonight with thee. Tomorrow they'll awaken with the dawn, and I will grow distracted without harm by elegance of one kind or another. Jim's slender, deadly smile, the golden hover of Captain Bonnet's hair, a fancied look from Israel hands, his heart's a burning book. With your permission, sweet, I would undo Roach's full concentration on his stew, and all for joy. We both know at the end, here is no crime so therefore no amends. Draw nearer then, my darling, balding mate. We weren't early, but we are not late. Now, while the rigging sways above our nest, I can imagine all this for the best. This ship, these crewmates, and our course and heading, which bear us on, not knowing, but not dreading. And that's about, oh, it's really the middle poem of the chapbook, which is, of course, and we are far from shore, poems for our flag means death. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of, of Poetry Podcasts. I'm your host, Han Vanderhart, and you've been listening to Catherine Rockwood read from their new chapbook out from Ethel Zine Press now. Catherine Rockwood lives in Massachusetts. She reads and edits for Reckoning Magazine and reviews books for Strange Horizons. Their poetry chapbooks, And We Are Far From Shore, Poems for Our Flag Means Death, and Endeavors to Obtain Perpetual Motion are available from the Ethel Zine Press. Hello and welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Han. It's great to see you. Great to talk to you. Yes. And yay, Ethel. I know. <laughs> I know. We both love Ethel. I love seeing your subscription mail arrive that you shared. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember if it was on Blue Sky or Instagram, but I love seeing that. Yeah, it's, um, it, well, again, Ethel's flock well. So, you know, it's nice to get a shipment. So I think they really do. Um, I had ordered a couple recently and Sarah very kindly threw in another and I was like, oh, I should have ordered three. You're right, Sarah. That's exactly what my other two needed was this. <laughs> and they're so beautiful together. I They're such gorgeous, gorgeous made things. Like they're such mm. art. And your cover is fantastic. Aww. Do you want to say anything about it? Uh, <laughs> um, well, the cover of the chapbook is, uh, so Sarah and I talked about it, you know, and of course that's the amazing thing you know about working with so Sarah's a very fine you know maker of books and and designer and fabricator um and so which again to me is just like magic I mean um I look at poems and I'm like oh yes I you know I can kind of see how that was made and I can but I look at something like a cover design that's done with fabric and sewing and you know is and transparencies and and um and I can't even you know, it's again, it's kind of like magic. Um, but she, there's this um, early modern conceit, right? Um, which is that lovers trade hearts. You know, my true love has my heart and I have his. And I think that's, I think that's Sir Philip Sidney. I think that's um, Sidney's formulation of, um, you know, this shared cultural idea. Um, 
that one of the ways that you know if you're really in love with somebody is all of a sudden you know you've kind of like traded your hearts and so with our flag means death um the conceit i was kind of working with is well what if you don't really have two working hearts between you <laughs> like what if you're both fairly messed up <laughs> but you can kind of you know like um you can each conjure about half of a working heart that you could then share <laughs> and so the cover is these two skeletons you know sort of um facing each other with their foreheads close and their rib cages kind of um nearby and in the middle they have this one shared red heart that has you know like some stitching down the middle of it like we've just kind of you know we stuck it together now we're good yeah and Sarah, you know, I asked Sarah, I was like, I have this idea. What do you think? Could you do something like that? And she was like, oh, yeah. So, That's amazing. It, yeah. It's a strong contender for a pirate flag, too. I mean. That was kind of the idea. You know, when we when when we first started talking about this chat book, Sarah was like, well, we'll just make our own flag. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what we'll do. Oh, Yeah. In the versions of the flag that come up in the movie when they have like their sewing competition in the first season are phenomenal. The cat. <laughs> yes, yes. The cat and the skulls eating skulls and like, you know. <laughs> so good. And I, what I really love about that is that, you know, there's this kind of, um, there's a scene in Our Flag Means Death in the first season where a British you know, sort of Navy dude is like looking at these flags that this really kind of you know um unwieldy still unsure of itself pirate crew has made as their first sort of group bonding activity right which is so funny <laughs> their captain steed bonnet i mean he's this hapless character and but he really wants to make it work and he's like okay well we're gonna craft together <laughs> like before we go out and like sack a ship you know, we're going to, we're going to have a craft session. And so they've turned out all of these and who knew, like they're actually, they really get into it. And these British officers are looking at all these different flags and they're so excessive. I mean, they're just, they're just full of all these different textures and like buttons and, you know, glitter and like, and the, the naval officer is like, what? <laughs> but it's a very smart kind of examination of, you know, restricted aesthetics, you know, versus a more sort of disorderly, excessive, you know, um, aesthetics that is, again, very compelling to me. And queer. And queer. Oh, yes. I mean, yes. <laughs> and just, I think, more comprehensive in terms of you know, who gets to participate, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not like there's a standard that is like, oh, this is the uniform standard. This is, everything's the same. Let's make it all the same way. There's so much more individuality and expression and softness. I mean, the literal material of like textile art and the genderedness of textile art, it just genderedness of labor. Like it just gets at a lot of really cool things. Oh, it really does. Yeah. It's uh, it's wonderful, and actually, um, the, you know, Wee John, the character Wee John, who's uh, becomes kind of the resident textile artist in in the series, which is also you know about drag and and making you know clothing for yourself that you are you know that 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 makes you feel more right, you know, that allows you to display yourself, you know, and but so Wee John, the character in that very first scene, he says something like, oh yes, you know, I used to I used to sew with my mother or something like that, and um and it just introduces this whole dimension of you know that is not uniformed masculine, you know, um, classical, uh, but is is very very different and. Um, again, more more expansive and disorderly and beautiful. Yeah. Beauty, too. Let's also have yeah. beauty. And community-oriented. Um, yes. I mean, it's like we knew, I think growing up, we knew a family who the dad was a doctor and the mom was really into quilting. Um, but guess what? That doctor dad could run an incredible line of stitching. And so they would sit down together in the evenings and like they quilt together. Which I find really oh. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. 
<laughs> and also, I mean, you know, sewing is also, I mean, like, you know, the medical aspect of it, like it's also healing <laughs> mm -hmm. or a healing assist. Um, so, and it's yeah. on your the front of your chat book. Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> really does impress me because Sarah will sew through multiple layers of, like you said earlier, like the vellum and the um, paper and just fabric sometimes, you know, we'll just use, I mean, she uses her grandmother's sewing machine, which is incredible. It's not a specialized yeah. machine. Um, and I love that, like, you know, I grew up with sewing machines and you can tell the tension is whack. Something's up with this machine and it's just plugging along, doing its really beautiful <laughs> line of own quirky line of stitching. And I yes. love, I love that against perfection. I think that that letting that into our art is really important that we have, we have elements of imperfection and um, unpredictability. Yeah. Not, you know, not, not being, I mean, literally not being square, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Being more swervy or curved or diagonal. Mm. Um, so your opening poem that you read to Pete, Tired at Midnight, which beautiful title, beautiful poem. It's beautiful, Catherine. Um, let's talk about the fact that it's in heroic couplets. <laughs> like, let's do this. <laughs> Now that we've talked about imperfection, and... <laughs> yeah, right, you you got me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, well, hmm. so it's in fairly regular iambic pentameter, blank, um, with in rhyme, right? Well, so I I suspect that we're going to um I suspect that we're going to end up talking about Stephanie Burt more than once in this conversation, and I'm so I'm going to repeat something that Stephanie said to me once. Um, so I asked her about her collection advice from the lights, and which you know there's Stephanie uses form in such amazing, interesting ways, um, and is so fluent in it that again it's like you almost don't notice it sometimes, but then you go back and the structure is there. Um, and so I asked her about um, the use of form and like, you know, what what she f felt it was particularly adding, basically, to, to some of the poems in that amazing collection. And she was like, well, you know, it's it's kind of a container for strong emotion that um, that it's it's that's one of the things that it does, you know. So that's kind of end quote you know, from, from Stephanie. And of course, there are lots of ways to get strong emotion across formally. Sometimes you want the long line that's broken unexpectedly or that's broken out of meter, you know. Um, but I guess in this particular poem, so the, the two poems that precede it are not in formal verse. They're, um, yeah. They're, they're free verse. This is getting toward the middle. And it was actually the first formal, it was the first love poem, like the first actual love poem in Microchat book. And this is a, sh so one of the reasons that I fell in love with this show, Our Flag Means Death, um, is that it really is. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a romance, you know, it's, it's got, it's, it compels and distresses <laughs> in in all the same ways, you know, that that like that falling passionately in love with somebody, you know, like reading a book about, you know, people falling passionately in love, trying to negotiate that. Um, it that's really at its core in a lot of ways. Although of course it expands to be much more. And to think about the consequences of, you know, a very passionate sort of um difficult relationship for central characters who whose state of mind has ramifications for other people right you know it, it gets it gets kind of deeply into that territory but by the time I got to the third poem to Pete tired at midnight and it was the first love poem and it was the first that I felt really dealt with that approaching that sort of centrally unstable and compelling emotion <laughs> that the show is about. <laughs> I I guess I felt like, all right, you know, like crack the fingers, like, you know, let's put, let's put, let's put this in a formal container, 
you know, for the strong emotion. And also let's have this be kind of a midlife thing because that's also another thing that's in the show. Yeah. And so this is not a voice that's experiencing love for the first time, but it is a voice, you know, it can reflect and therefore be contained to some extent, but, but it's a voice that's acknowledging, you know, what's, what's happening to the speaker. Does that kind of answer? No, that really does. Thank you. I think I was in my head thinking some about, you know, writing racist or ekphrastic poems after film, which I love to do. And, you know, what it means to have such a a formal um, form. And I mean, I, I think you're very, even though you're using true rhymes, mostly looking at water and before yeah. <laughs> was like, Oh, that line. Okay. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's, it's subtle and it's um, sneaky in a way I like <laughs> that. It's not like smacking me with the rhyme, um, <laughs> but it's like woven, it's woven in and it feels, it feels really lovely. Um, I also just love the scene setting in this poem and that you give that to us at the beginning and I mean, I talk to student writers all week long about like hooks and getting your reader in and how important places, right? And then it's the deck is quiet. You dream by my side and we are far from shore. It's just gorgeous. So, um, yeah. And heroic. I mean, I've always loved the idea of the heroic couplet. Mm. Um and of course, I'm fan of Mr. Blank verse Milton, but yeah. you know, <laughs> but it's really, I don't know. It's really, um, well, the it's heroic, really beautiful. The heroic couplet feels like something you have to claw back a little bit. I feel like, um, you know, cause it, I, I guess, and I'm going to maybe show my rustiness here, but I feel like, you know, you, you think of that as kind of originally an Augustan thing, like you know, are we like late 17th, early eight, I mean, late 17th, mostly, right? The Augustans. Um, I'm, which is not, you know, it's not a, it's not a period in Anglophone poetry that I feel very much connection to, I would say. And so it's kind of nice to be like, well, I'll just take that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and going to make it about queer pirates. That's something very satisfying. A hundred percent. And the fact that it's not, I mean, you've got a lot of different form in a really, I mean, I love that it's a micro chap. And so it's six poems, right? Is that correct? It's yeah. Six. Yep. Um, and I want you to know that first time I read this, you can't say this with every book, but I started reading it while I was standing in my bedroom and I think, <laughs> I finished. I like stood the whole time because I was like, and I just stood there. Um, and then that's kind of lovely in itself because you think like there are books you sit down and you read in one sitting, but I read this in one standing. So, <laughs> um, that's great. you know, it's a little world unto itself. And I definitely want to talk more about filmic phrases. And I also mm. want to talk about the perfection of your epigraph. Which is Stephanie Burt from We Are Mermaids. Did you uh, want to read that? Yeah, yeah. I'll, you know, um, I'll, I'll, you know. So I asked, I asked Stephanie if I could use it, and she said, "Yeah, yeah, go ahead." Um, so the, um, the epigraph is: Every tragedian I know is a liar. The announced end of a story is never the end. And that's from, let's see, uh, is it a dash? Um, So Stephanie has all these wonderful poems in We Are Mermaids that are punctuation marks. Um, And uh, this is is one of them. So, um, yeah, well, I think that's about a lot of things, right? Um, And one of them is gender. Um, and again, 
um, finding spaces for queer hope and queer joy um, in, you know, a world that sometimes feels like it pulls toward tragedy. And, um, and it's also about, again, what we, what compels us about, you know, being in love. Um, so one of the, the things about this, this show, and again, you know, I, um, is that it is pretty uncomfortable in a lot of ways because it's not clear, you know, I mean, I got sort of very up in my head the, the first time I watched it and was like, you know, well, is anybody really in love in this show? <laughs> you know, like, you know, I mean, or are they just, you know, kind of cruising toward their death drive and like, you know, they've, you know, they've identified each other as sort of, you know, the most, like the fastest way, <laughs> you know? the the fastest and messiest way to you know have this kind of pirate tragedy um that is kind of going to make them immortal <laughs> for just having this incredibly pyrotechnic you know legendary short life <laughs> um is is love in the show is it just a vehicle you know for kind of again um having a legend having having a legacy in in story um and uh you know i certainly hope we're coming down on the side of no but stephanie's poem pulls toward no right you know that that in fact that love is about you know reaching the other you know and the the dailiness of the other and also you know the um that which is unknown and continues to compel you you know that that you have to keep living your life to try to stay in relation with um yeah um so that's why i mean you know i i when i read that poem and i read we are mermaids which like again everybody should read it's you know, an amazing book um uh i was like oh I gotta ask, like, I gotta ask if I can quote that one. <laughs> it's so good, both from, I mean, I think I love paratexts, right? Like the texts that come alongside the primary texts that do a very particular work of attention. I love, I love intertextuality and the conversation that happens by contrast and comparison. And just the fact that it's like, well, Stephanie Burt, first of all, but it's from We Are Mermaids and the title's there. So you've got this like, from We Are Mermaids epigraph to a book about pirates, um, about tragedy and false endings. And like, it just brings together so many wonderful elements. And the additional element, of course, is that Stephanie has these um, different punctuation mark poems that also address right gender and sexuality. And, um, and I was floored by that when Stephanie was on the show and said to me, like asked me about, I want to say it's the semicolon poem, but I could be wrong, which is like, and um, kind of Stephanie's read on non-binary. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it blew my mind so much in the moment. I was still processing it. I, Stephanie was like, do you agree? Or do you like, and I was like, oh my God, that's so brilliant. Now I have to go back and read everything <laughs> and I can't answer in this moment, you know? Um, yeah. But that just that, that interplay and the multiple layers. And it's just like, lovely to like sit with that and kind of open it up oh I'm so glad yeah I think Stephanie kind of taught me how to put mermaids in um a little bit so uh that I mean it, there's a poem that's actually we discussed this it's unreadable it's in seven parts <laughs> but but it does talk about the mermaid you know as as kind of a figure of both um uh possibility and loss right and um that you know why why are sailors afraid of mermaids you know is it i mean is it that they do, do they see them as a true peril do they feel that are you know or do they want to be the mermaid <laughs> and they're afraid of how that's going to kind of pull them away from their sort of sailorly duties um and this kind of regimented you know masculine lifestyle um but i again it's it's amazing you know i think i feel like one of the one of the sometimes i think oh i should just read i shouldn't really i should just read all the time i shouldn't write 
<laughs> sometimes I th and then I'm like, but yeah, but when you write, you know, y it actually makes you a better reader and sort of vice versa. And, and so again, if I hadn't been trying to write something at, at the time I was reading, we are mermaids, I don't think I would have started to see some of those things. I hear that so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost like wondrously overwhelming to me how constantly behind I am in everything I want to read. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, writing ekphrastic poems is one way we sit with a text longer and read it, which is its own delight. And I did want to ask you about how you find working with film as inspiration for poetry, as you know, ekphrasis, like art that is written after other art and, you know, particular pleasures, particular challenges, how you feel about that. And if you've done that with other films, because for me, sometimes it works really well and sometimes it really doesn't work. And the hinge point for me is that it needs to be a quote unquote text or narrative that I have some real investment in. And it will work, it, like, it often works for, like, Southern films for me. It often works. But it has to be something I'm kind of deeply connected to. If I just love the film, I tried to write a poem about, like, is it the House of Singing Daggers or the House of Singing Knives? Flying Daggers, House of Flying Daggers. There we go. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I thought that was a gorgeous film. Tried to yeah. write about it. And I just, yeah. I don't think it was my film. So that was okay. Like, being like, okay, that's not my like particular cultural. I just couldn't do it. I'm sure other people can. Um, but yeah, those are some questions I have for you. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't, I don't know how, if this works for you, but I think, um, one thing about trying to write ekphrasis about TV in this case, but you know, film, um, broadly construed is sort of that when I try to, write a poem about a film it does sometimes I'll go back and I'll look and I'll it really shows you how little you know in some ways about how films are made I don't know if you noticed this but it, the techniques are so different like the the way of telling a story the way of conveying emotional beats like um uh, and of course, film has this whole other um, array of colors that it's working with, which are, you know, visual. I mean, like you can, there's, there can be a visual joke, you know, um, that's instantaneous and immediately, you know, you're laughing or crying. I mean, depending, you know, um, and, and poetry can't, I don't think poetry can do that. Like, I mean, it can't, it's not the download isn't, it can do that. Well, anyway, this is all getting very, very cognitive. Um, <laughs> um, but as I was writing this and as I was trying to kind of go through and look at the scenes and look at what was actually said and then think about, you know, well, what, how did I want to kind of um, take that and, and, and make something, make a poem out of it, um, I, I became increasingly aware I was like I do not really fundamentally understand how you tell a story with film it's different um, for instance there's a poem in here Les Sirene which is basically a transcription in you know rhymed um, it's like a mini play right but it's it rhymes um, and it's one exchange that happens in the show uh, about gender about this character, Jim, uh, who's played by Vico Ortiz, um, who is just like the most fabulous creature. <laughs> just, um, and I mean, oh, love Vico, such an amazing uh, actor. And, um, but I thought it was all one thing. I mean, like in my head, in my memory, you know, this was this was a coherent exchange that had taken place um, in, in more or less one sitting that was about, this character Jim's gender identity. I went back to try to write a poem and I was like, oh my God, it's like six. <laughs> I mean, like it's like six broken up scenes. Um, I d but 
so that aside, just the sense of when you're working with a medium that's different from the medium that you know, um, it, you you start to see um, how the, the the toolbox, you know, like just the entire way of 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 conveying sense and you know creating emotional impact. It the the techniques are so so different than what you thought they were necessarily. Um, that's very interesting in and of itself. Um, as far as the emotional connection, uh, yeah, you you have to be ready to make something, right? And I don't know how this works for you. You know, I'd be really curious to know. Um, but for me, I often can't make something unless I, I really have a take, you know, I mean, like, and feel passionately about it. Um, so, but like where the take comes from, where does that come from? Like it comes from something, something about your experience, you know, something about the way you move through the world, um, you know, the influences that have, that have come to bear on you. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, you do have to have a connection, I think. That was really helpful to hear you say, because it brings out how when I'm writing about a film, a lot of times I like to focus on scenes with a lot of image. And for me, like really sheer description or just trying to like condense the description is itself. There's so much emotion in that. And, you know, I think I really haven't spent much time thinking about the differences in like the medium and the make and how, the narrative works. I think it's just too complicated for my brain. Like the way with film, the way images are stitched together and the way scenes are just the cut, the pan, the, the perspective, it's so complicated. It's I think I have to be like a more simple reader and just watch because it's so like, if I think about it, it's too much. <laughs> like it's incredible. Um, and so I also thought it was interesting earlier when you were talking about like poetry is doing something different in terms of like, you don't get that immediate understanding or reading or knowing and that there's, you know, there's something you have to get through. And I think for me, that's really helpful because I'm a very slow processor. And so I can sit with the page. I can reread lines. I can just sit there. And this is interesting. <laughs> I promise there's a relation. Um <laughs> <laughs> it brings up for me angel sex in paradise lost and <laughs> because i think about this oh my god i think about this way too much way way too much like if a doctor knew how often i thought about <laughs> milton's description of angels yeah. like commingling their spirits yes they would probably be concerned for me but it's this idea like why can't we touch on every point? Why can't all of our points touch all of our points so much that we are clouds that like walk into each other and we're entirely, you know, infused. Like the language is so like chemistry and the language is so um, the person who can transmute things into other qualities. So Alchemical. Yes. Thank you. Ha, love when that happens. Someone tells me the perfect word. Alchemical. <laughs> And, and you love that, that the science of the age and kind of the, the magical science of the age gets into Milton. Um, and for me, I love to think about how there's so much pleasure in resistance and like, but Milton, do you get the, the incredible pleasure of only being able to connect with someone on just like, just these minor points of our physical bodies or I like, and for me, poetry also has that quality of like, there's a resistance there and it's a pleasurable resistance. And there's something that it slows you down. And I don't know, there's something about that. I think like I, said, I think about that way too much. <laughs> no, it's very, you know, again, what about reading changes us, you know, and, and to what extent do we have to consent to be changed? Um, and, um, but yes, it's not, I mean, an image can happen to you, you know, I mean, sort of if you, when you, you know, on the screen, it can happen to you. 
Um, and again, if you're a parent, you know, and you've got kids you know, running around and you kind of want to watch something, you know, maybe a little more adult, um, you know, you, you think about that a lot. You're like, mm, no, I can't just like sneak off and watch, you know, uh, for instance, just randomly pulling out of a hat, you know, blue eye samurai, which my, my, my is so good. So my husband and I are currently trying to get through this and we have, you know, small kids in the house. And, um, and I, I'm like, well, an image could happen to them. Like, I don't, I mean, like, I, I don't, I, I, we can't, but like, you know, um, but with reading, you know, you, you have to, you have to consent, you know, to, to, um, to have it happen to you, which is very interesting. Um, and, uh, so that just the different forms of resistance that different mediums offer, you know, or the different kinds of permission that they give, um, and the different types. And I'm, well, I mean, you know, of control that they exert, right. Um, is, is all, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Oh um, my. <laughs> this is making me think of the last poem actually in, in the micro chapbook is that cause talk about so angelic sex. Okay. So can I, can I read that one? I just, I thought is... I was muted. I thought I was muted cause I was having all these like really big reactions to what you were saying and I was hitting the top of my desk and then I realized I was not <laughs> muted. So apologies. <laughs> Oh, I, well, this is, this is kitchen table conversations, right? <laughs> so like, there's like, you know, there's like the clink of glasses and like. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No. I'm going to make sure that's clear in production. No worries. Um, so the, the last poem, so, you know, speaking about, you know, being able to touch, you know, on sort of at every point, you know, versus, you know, um, having only specific points, you know, of sort of contact. So I really struggled with, I struggled with a number of things about this collection, but one, one was like, which characters am I allowed to write voice poems, you know, for, and, and, and which characters am I not, you know, like, and so... And I didn't know if I was going to be able to write a Blackbeard poem, for instance. I was like, can I do that? Am I, you know, I mean, like, or is that not, not a, like, do I not have the the connection, like, you know, the voice and the, the, the right, you know, I mean, like, um, but um, I would say, you know, this last poem, I decided that this kind of is my Blackbeard poem and, but that it's, I tried to write it so that um, it's really kind of the voice of, you know, um, a confused suffering lover you know, who's going through a crisis of identity. <laughs> and that, that is an area, I mean, I'm like, no, I can do that because like, that's definitely like, I've definitely been there, you know? <laughs> But, you know, this poem is kind of a meditation on loss and contact and return. So it's called In the Days Before I Knew That I Was. In the days before I knew that I was, while my bones were still being gathered, before anyone put my name in their mouth and used it to curse, before I had two names or three, and each name was a seed and some grew the slender fig tree, some the strangling vine. Then, when I had no knowledge, could not have been told to listen to what should not be mine. I think I dwelled with you, love, so far from the open sea, whose patient wash and fierce dissolving rage are now our only way home. May they weary us back to atoms. May our unsolid bones embrace. So that's the last poem in the collection. I was very pleased with the wordplay on atoms, A-T-O-M-S, and atoms, as in Garden of Eden. Um, what if there were only two atoms? Like, gave myself a little pat on the back. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. I recently read so the song of Achilles mm. and the like the dying request of Achilles is that his ashes be married with 
well, I said buried, be mixed with Patroclus like in um in an yeah. urn or buried together. And that's a really important storyline at the end, um, that mixing. And again, I mean, it kind of gets on that can we be mixed on all points, right? Um yep. against like the limit of the body. Yep. Mm, this is a beautiful poem. I think it's so beautiful. And I mean, I grew up in a very um, biblical household <laughs> in so many ways. Um, and, you know, it's the lines. I can't even remember what part of scripture it's from, but, you know, the before my bones were knit yeah. in the womb, right? Like, and so I love that this is kind of a revisioning of that too that you've got that in the days before I knew that I was when my bones were still being gathered and the gathered that that is so open to like what are the bones you know like at what point what point in time like what chronology are you and the openness and I think the generosity there with chronology is really beautiful too like the time the out of timeness feeling hmm. and a lot about home too that's a very uh I think in the in the show it's not I don't think the show really got to a place where it was really talking about what home might be. And of course that brings us to the sad news that it looks like the show is over. <laughs> Alas. Um unclear, unclear. Maybe it's but, a false ending. Um, maybe it's a false ending. We'll see. Um but I I so the material there, I mean I feel like um you know, it's, to me, it's kind of a show about trying to reconfigure, trying to, you know, sort of reimagine home and what home might look like. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it, in, I mean, the last poem, the one that I just read, it's, there is this kind of Edenic echoes, um, you know, sort of going back to an original garden, but I don't think the poem is very certain about it. Um, and I don't think the show was either very unclear what kind of messy sort of you know chaotic um uh joyfully queer <laughs> sort of um situation they might have ended up in don't know and all of these poems were written be after the first season but not the second right? that's right yeah yeah do you feel at all different about any of them now that you've seen the second season um uh i don't i mean i again i think one of the things that is i'm really glad about is that i did write these kind of in real time and it is there wasn't any more um and the the microtropic is kind of a world unto itself like you like you said um i i don't i don't think i feel differently after the second season um, I mean, this is kind of a collection that was sort of standing on the beach, you know, <laughs> like, don't know what's going to happen next. There's the horizon. Um, and, um, you know, it's that's kind of where it, it leaves off, really. The ocean is such a meaning making space and also a place. It's because the meaning is so unfixed, right, that it's so against the earth, um, and changing and mercurial like there are so many elements of the ocean that I think go so well I saw this amazing quote on like the Melville app on blue sky today and I'm not gonna be able to find it but it was specifically about like the ocean being this untamed horse um, that's like bucked its rider and it was just had this beautiful like everything is like the constant changingness of the ocean. Well, it's also, well, so the ocean is not, you know, a, a, a liminal or literal um, zone. Um, but I, I do think, you know, the ocean is good for poets because we tend to contemplate it. I mean, again, it varies, obviously, but, um, you know, it is the zone of intersection, you know, with, I mean, um, with, the earth and 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 with the ground um and that actually makes me think of so i have to thank you for the recommendation to read brian tears doomstead days 
um, just this amazing collection. And um, something he wrote in there really, so we've been talking about writing poems about film. So, you know, sort of standing in between two mediums or, you know, trying to make two mediums work together, you know, thinking about sort of where they, where they uh, touch <laughs> at every point, <laughs> you know, and where they absolutely don't, you know, and they're there. And um, I love this line from, so this is Doomstead Days, and it's a poem called Sitting River Meditation um, by Brian Tier, And he talks about, um, you know, you're always looking for other poets, Ars Poetica, or so they're kind of like, you know, statement of um, their own process and their own understanding. Um, and he says in the middle of this much longer poem um, about observing frozen water, actually, I like to put my mind where two worlds meet and agree to disagree. Um, and I, that, you know, I was like, oh, say it again. <laughs> like, you know, say that again. Like that, I, I, I had never seen it so clearly before. Um, but that that is just an incredibly productive place to to be. And it's also a, a, a state of mind and a set of preferences that are very specific. And that brings up another word for me, you know, along with the littoral is ecotone, which I don't think I knew the meaning of until we accepted um, Corey Williamson's book at River River Books this this December and it's your mother's bear gun and oh, like amazing she, title it's a great title <laughs> and Corey wrote a little bit about the book like we asked everyone to talk about their submission you know tells just tell us a little about their manuscript and ecotone is defined as a region of transition between two biological communities but then Corey kind of adds the layer of like like ecotones of violence and ecotones of harm. So when those those spaces touch and mingle, back to the idea of mingling, I guess today. Um, but that that is, I mean, that's so interesting. I also evoked, you know, absolutely just invoked, I guess. Um, Elizabeth Bradfield writing about oceanic thinking and you know that the where the land and water meet or where these like different edges meet that those are the really messy areas and it's also where the life is and you know I think as a writer it's like that's a great place to be unless you're going to be overwhelmed or subsumed by the chaos of the mess or you know um it's like such a good place to be as a parent writer with animals in the house that you adore and so many different acts of care. And, and sometimes it's like, wow, I've made zero time for myself or wow, I did an hour of care yes. work before I took off for work or, you know, it's. Um, but sometimes the open sea or the mountains are very appealing for exactly that reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's only so much standing in between. Um, and and disagreeing. And how are we going to teach our children to like listen to their own bodies and care for themselves if we're not <laughs> practicing listening to our bodies? And I just read this really off <laughs> about the trash a book. I, I just know. read this really awful book. <laughs> <laughs> I read Neon Gods by Katie Roberts. It. And let me say, gorgeous title. So my love my partner said that it um it's too oh they think it's too imitative of lore olympus i don't see that it is kind of it's very much in the spirit of american gods in some sense it's about hades and persephone it's kind of zero ply zero you know except that what's been made for them um not great character you know just it, it was the whole shebang but interesting and i'm gonna try to remember why i was bringing that Dang it. Oh, yes. So there's this weird unearned tension of like, I, I told I told my love that it it read like consent fantasy. Ooh. Not and good. I read on Reddit, someone said that it was IKEA porn. <laughs> <laughs> it kills me. 
<laughs> um, so yeah, like the steamy scenes, they were pretty well written. But you know, if if I don't in, I don't really enjoy explicit scenes if they're not situated in really good character development and really yep. good story. Like I need the whole world. Give me your whole world. <laughs> um and and they didn't. They didn't. And they knew what they were doing. And everyone ate this book up. And you know, it was like New York Times bestseller. It was, you know, it's all you know, I read it because it came up with like my recommendations and I was looking, I was like, I need some more of this kind of lit in my life. Um, and so when I mean consent fantasy, it's like, oh, everyone is just so tender and vulnerable, even though they have a rough exterior and they've had a terrible life and they've been trauma, you know, and it, yeah. again, just felt really unearned. Um, and as much as I found it obnoxious that Hades was con constantly like Persephone, you are not listening to the needs of your own body like this. It was like sultry, like therapy speak. And um, dang it, if you didn't have a point. And ever <laughs> since, ever since I like read that book, I keep being like, oh man, I'm so bad at listening to the needs of my own body. And I'm so good at listening to the needs of other people's bodies. Uh, um, yeah. So as much as the book wasn't for me, um, and I'm sure it brings pleasure to some people out there. So, and it did, but everyone read it. So, great um but, but there's definitely some truth like there are truths that we need to say to each other a lot and that is one of them and to do kind of a backflip back into what we were talking about um brian tears doomstead days i think there's such a beautiful attention to listening to the body mm. listening to the environment and the ecology and I mean, it's got that gorgeous title, Doomstead Days, that you don't even find out why the book is named that until it is actually yeah. dropped in the final poem. Yeah. But the cool stuff Brian does with like intimate relations, relations of like yes. all levels in your life, gender, yes. all kinds of stuff. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And I and I, I feel like, I mean, if we're talking about uh, poetics of care, you know, I mean, it's sort of like extending to your, like the landscape that you're walking through and like, you know, the things that you see in terms of ecological harm that you can't do anything about, you know, but, but you can sit with, you know, like to the extent that you can do that and not, again, sort of lose yourself, which is you know, not stop listening to what you need. Like, and that's something we all need to be thinking about a lot, right? You know, like, can I, you know, I, I need to be in the world, I need to observe the world, I need to think about the world, you know, part of doing that is like, witnessing harm, you know, witnessing things that are beyond my control, um, and, uh, and, and, and not becoming avoidant, and yet, on the other hand, not you know, kind of um, sort of giving up. Um, and and so, so right, that this sort of, you know, experiencing, you know, just a diversity, you know, like a, and, and like a, a diversity of information that's in conflict, you know, or that's, or that's kind of, that is, that is disagreeing, you know, um, uh, and, and, and yet, you know, I feel like that line, you know, the, <laughs> it's the line agree to disagree <laughs> is a cliche. Yeah. It's not only a cliche, it gets used in the most ridiculous political re rhetoric these days. It gets, you know, it's like, it's a way of sweeping everything under the rug, you know, agree to disagree. And yet, so what, what I feel like Brian Tier is doing in that poem, I mean, he's like, no, but what if really, like, what if really, you know, we could find, you know, a, a, a gr like agreement in this competing and sort of sometimes devastating information that we're all being called to witness right now, you know, um, and, and again, agreement with the self, like with, you know, it, with it, it's, it's a complex um, construction. Uh, and but I feel like one of the things he's done is kind of take that you know, cliche and reclaim it and make it into something that, you know, you really should be considering philosophically, you know, and in terms of care, right? Um, and, um, and I, I mean, just to pull this back to our flag means stuff, because I can't not, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that, 
you know, one of the things that's kind of unsettling about that show, and 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 one of the things that really, you know, um, actually the second season was harder for me, like as a as a viewer, I just it it had more ups and downs. It was they were less predictable. Um, not that not that the first season was predictable, but like once once you got to the end, you were like, oh, you know, okay, romantic devastation, cliffhanger, like you know, I those are all sort of you know plot trajectories that I recognize. Um, I understand the emotional beats here, even if I don't love you know, what they're doing to me. Um, but the, 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 the second season, it did not have, I mean, it was like the, the up, the highs were so high, the lows were so low, the, the information was so competing, right, that it was very difficult um, to, to kind of um, find agreement and disagreement, right? You know, it, was, it just, it, the work was harder um, in the second season. And I think some people, uh, you know, maybe people who have thought harder about, you know, um, queer relationships, queer trauma, you know, um, that, that, that maybe it was easier you know, for those viewers to parse and to to understand as a work of art, then then it was necessarily for me, um, who's somebody who's coming to their own gender queerness quite late in life, you know, um, and um, stormy literature, right? Stormy conflict-driven literature texts, um, you know, they're I think they're useful for us right now. You can't you can't live on a diet of that alone, obviously. Yeah, like right towards the beginning, or at least very much when we were talking about the Stephanie Burt epigraph and, you know, tragedy, tragedian, tragedian. When you said it, I realized I say it differently in my head, but I also don't, I'm not invited to say that word very often, or I don't think of saying that very often. Maybe I should. But it just brings up for me, I was thinking like, wow, yeah, there are a lot of like tragedy and love but also just the idea of the conflict of goods in that um, you can have multiple things that are good and they can be in direct conflict. And yeah. we live in such a bifurcated world where people want to have binaries and people want to have, like people want to make everything into a two-party system. And our world is not reducible that way. Like it's just not, it's like, you'll almost always be safe in, in some, on some level. <laughs> you know, being really slow to answer and to sitting with information longer and understanding that things are complicated and have really big histories and, and that you can't speak for every other person out there. You can't speak even just with like, oh, just all kinds of stuff. The white Christians who think that it's super cool if they chime in about Israel and Palestine right now. And I'm like, yeah. shut up. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't you don't get to no Jews for Jesus. No. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely is, not. It really matters who's speaking. And it really and I does. love to hear that that came out when you were writing this chat book too, that you were thinking about like, who can I speak for? And because um, I think that when you're writing specifically, you know, very specifically about art and persona poems can do this too. Like it can really open up what you're able to say about yourself, but also you just, you can't just like, you can't just take any, mouth or person like unthinkingly like you can't do that you shouldn't do that just like you wouldn't want someone writing a poem in the persona of you putting words in your mouth like that is something I think it's worth being invited to think about with persona writing yeah not not everything is for everyone you know and um and that um so I I wrote some poems about my husband at one point you know like I because he told me some stories from when he was growing up when he was a young man and I found some of the imagery in them so striking and um, like in one case there was like a neighbor's house when it was on fire and like he and I mean so things like that and I I wrote a short series of poems that was kind of you know not in his voice but observing him <laughs> and I asked him how he felt about those I was like can I send these out and he was like thank you for asking. He was like, no, <laughs> you know, like it, that it was just too weird, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, maybe someday he'll feel differently. Maybe I'll look at the poems in a year and be like, I, I still, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in terms of how I feel about the poems, how he feels about mm. them. But, 
it, it is worth remembering that there is something of the uncanny about um, speaking in someone else's voice or even really narrating very recognizable events from other people's lives. Mm. And of course, there's more distance with that in terms of fictional characters, but not as much as, I mean, it's it's not, you know, carte blanche. I mean, it's, um, you, you really do have to think about it. You do. I... <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, if the speaker is an I speaker and the experience is rooted in the poet, I just, you know, I think that poets should come with tiny little tags on their sleeve or something and say like, hey, warnings, anything you, you say to this person can and will be repeated <laughs> in a poem. Yeah. Because yeah. like I have literally cited, I've dropped things my neighbor has said to me into my, yeah. and then like, his wife bought my book and then I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. And I was like, yeah. oh, Ben is totally in my book. And then I was like, remembered what it was. And I was like, that was awkward. So, you know, there are real people who will meet your balls. That's right. That's right. And I and and I, you know, I don't know. I mean, for me, I mean, I'm a I'm an indie press poet, you know. I mean, I and 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 poetry, of course. I mean, we both know, you know, anybody who's listening to this podcast would know that poetry is you know a small percentage of what gets read in any given year um just in terms of number of readers and you know number of copies and all the rest of it so there is i think you can develop a sense of well nobody's really going to read this i mean like five people are going to read this so like it um but I, I just feel like, you know, literature, poetry circulates in unpredictable ways. And yeah, like you just never know. <laughs> you have to think about anybody that you're quoting, you know, anybody whose voice you're presuming to kind of step into, um, you know, that, that they, if not them, then someone who has who knows them or has strong feelings about them or for whom, I mean, you know, if, if they're a cultural figure, you know, someone for whom they are also a touchstone. I mean, like all of these feelings are, are going to be, you know, touching, right? I mean, they're going to be in contact. They might be with your work at some point. And, um, you know, even if you're teeny tiny, you know, it, it could still happen. Um, and hopefully that makes you a better writer. Hopefully, you know, um, but I think we do have to think about it. And I mean, I think that the context of relationship, it's like something you learn really early on when you're in a serious relationship with someone. It's like, oh, what I say today matters. No, that's Be right. Because yeah. we wake up next to each other tomorrow yeah, morning. That's like, right. <laughs> you can't just like, it's not a date and then maybe you'll see them next week. It's like, oh no. Oh, yeah. everything's here. <laughs> yes. It stays. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, that you have, I don't know if you, I mean, I, I feel like we all kind of, I don't know if it's all, but like kids growing up, you know, I feel like you, I certainly, you know, inhabited a zone that was alternately like I'm the most important thing and I, and I don't really exist. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, like there's this weird, you know, you're trying to kind of close the gap there. So as you get older, as you grow up, you know, you're like, okay, I'm not the most important thing. I, I do really exist. Like those things, I'm not the most important thing. I do exist. <laughs> And, and that, um, and one of the ways that, you know, we kind of triangulate that stuff, you know, is through our intimate relationships. Um, and it's where some of the really janky, like, you know, equalizing, you know, on the board of our lives, you know, kind of happens. It's with, it's with our intimate partners. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not, I say, you know what I'm going to say next. I mean, I actually think our flag means death is really good at that. <laughs> I mean, in a very messy way, you know, um, but, you know, that kind of like, oh, you can't just like, you can't just fuck off, you know, and have it not matter, you know, because actually this other person has registered your presence, you know, yes. and, and, and has feelings about, you know, what you do with it. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Amazing. That's amazing. I think that's an amazing place to wrap up our conversation. 
Catherine, this has just been amazing. And I have been so looking forward to this. Um, so me too, me too. Thank you for, for spending this hour with me on a bright Tuesday morning. I'm glad you have sun and thank you so much. This was so much fun. Um, and, um, you know, like, I just wish, I just, I wish that Durham were closer to Massachusetts. I know. <laughs> I know. Same. Um, well, okay. I really want to go visit Emily Dickinson Museum really, really oh, badly. I really yeah, want yeah. to do this. I have no idea if you are in relationship, like how far, what I, I'm terrible with geography, but I would love to make some kind of visit. Happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you do, let me know. It's not, I mean, Amherst is like, it's like an hour and 15 minutes maybe for me. It's not that bad. So I could totally do a day trip. Um, and um, yeah, that would be super fun. I want to make a pilgrimage. It's, do you know Linda Russo's writing? She... Yeah has she has a um i'm sure many poems have been written about visiting emily dickinson's house <laughs> but she has some really great ones actually um i can send you that if you're interested yeah and for our listeners you can look in our show notes to find a link to Catherine rockwood's new chapbook and more information on where you can find Catherine's website and read their poems thanks so much for listening <laughs>